0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the Week about the rumors that CVS is exploring an acquisition of Oak Street Health. So can retailers, hospitals, and value-based primary care coexist? And can a less hospital-centric version of healthcare benefit everyone? I'll talk about that. Then it's our 250th episode. Celebrate with us as Zane and I give a state of the state of consumer transformation. We start off by the numbers, sharing some figures from research across the industry about what consumers want and how healthcare organizations are doing meeting those demands. Then we discuss who's trending up and down, and we wrap up by creating a consumer cocktail by mixing in the ingredients that make up consumer transformation. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Batter up. Another rumored mega deal? Another opportunity to improve the consumer experience. The latest to take a swing is CVS, who according to Bloomberg is exploring a deal to acquire Oak Street Health, which runs primary care centers for Medicare recipients. Reportedly, the two are in ongoing talks and could reach a deal within weeks that values Oak Street at more than $10 billion, including debt. Oak Street operates 169 centers in 21 states. They went public in 2020 and have seen rapid growth and results from their value-based clinical strategy, but they still operate at a loss. They expect to lose over 200 million million dollars in 2023 and not reach profitability until 2025 at the earliest. So the retail health carousel continues to spin, but are consumers being taken for a ride? Meaning as the price tags keep going up, Amazon bought One Medical for $4 billion, CBS bought Signify Health for $8 billion, and VillageMD bought Summit Health for $9 billion, does the quality of care go down? Do consumers win? Or is primary care just a means to an end? I'm hopeful that what's driving acquisitions like this is at least partly a vision of finding that sweet spot where the long-term growth plan for the business intersects the opportunity to make the transactional parts of the healthcare journey easier. From the consumer's point of view, which I haven't heard that much about in all the hot takes, I could see possible benefits for members to fill prescriptions at more locations or receive discounts maybe at CVS stores. If they have the capacity to scale Oak Street's model, it could potentially bring the benefits of their value-based membership-driven primary care to millions more seniors. The other possibility could be once they have a true primary care delivery structure in place, they could be positioned to connect that with their newfound at-home care capabilities from the Signify Health acquisition. And at that point, you you're talking about a true continuum of care that happens all outside of a doctor's office. Which leads me to my final point. As with nearly every headline about the big four retailers, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, and Amazon, I don't hear a lot about the role of hospitals in all of it. As the consumer health carousel continues to spin, where will they land? If this deal materializes, it feels like we could be 10 billion steps closer to a version of healthcare that's less hospital-centric. And I'm not sure how many times I have to say it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Imagine what relief it could give hospitals to focus more on their awesome acute care care and specialty care expertise and live in whatever level of fee-for-service that makes them comfortable and leave the rest to players that can scale value-based care for patients that need it the most. Let's keep exploring this vision where retailers, hospitals, and value-based primary care can coexist for the benefit of everyone. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, let's get into the flow, everybody. Zane is in the house. What's new, Zane?
1: Hey, Jared. Good to be here. Not much new, really. I'm just excited to be in 2023. We made it. I don't know. I just feel like, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Get into it in the rest of the podcast. There's just crazy news every week in the digital health space, and so uh, sometimes it's hard to keep track of it all.
0: It really is. Well, I'll tell you about that. So we'll do our best to help keep people up to date on what's going on, at least what we're seeing. But you know what? Before we dive into that, I'm curious. You want to give us just some quick thoughts? Here we are. We're reaching episode number 250. Give us some quick thoughts on that.
1: That's insane. First of all, I never would have thought. I feel like anyone that's in the content production space, like you, never. Sometimes you struggle to figure out like, what are we even going to talk about? And so, I think it's crazy that, and you did most of it in the earlier days. It's I think it's crazy that we've been able to find content, and this industry is so you know ripe and rich and full of disruption and transformation that we've been able to put together 250 episodes. To talk about all this. I think that's good. And I think congratulations in order for you for getting everyone this far.
0: Hey, well, right back at you, man. This has uh, been a team effort all along. I'll tell you real quick, uh, one very short story, right? (laughs) For our listeners, I'm going to take people back to spring of 2018. I was sitting in a hospital cafeteria with my colleague, Peter, and we had just been talking about some of the conversations we had been having as part of a marketing and digital team at a hospital, talking with administrators, talking about things like, "Hey, we should open up our scheduling and do that online," and like uh, getting shot down immediately. Right? They're like, "Yeah, the doctors aren't going to do that," uh-huh. <laughs> and and things like that. And we're like, "Hey, here's uh, here's an opportunity." Let's be doing at the time. It was like, Hey, let's be doing Facebook lives every week. Let's have a Q and A with a doctor to answer questions for parents. And they're like, Well, how are we going to get their reimbursed? You know, we were excited about some things, but also feeling the challenges of being in the trenches of how do we move a lot of these at the time digital initiatives forward? How do we help people see the value of this? And are we the crazy ones in the room for even asking mm-hmm. that and, and saying that's the direction for things? And so we just started talking amongst mm-hmm. ourselves we found an empty storage room on campus and just just hit record. And April 1st, 2018, that was episode one. We've been going every week ever since then. And we were blessed with with Peter to be my co-host for a number of years in the early days. And yeah, ever since then... Like you said, we have not run out of things to, to talk about, to bring to people's attention, to share as a call to action, and kind of a reality check, all rolled into one. And that's why we're still here. But yeah, you know, what? if if this industry would just slow down and just be boring, maybe maybe we wouldn't have so much to talk about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like maybe we can maybe we can start a credentialing podcast that we'd run out of things to talk about really quick. I think. I think for me to, you know reflecting on the 250th episode, two things also come to mind is just how many people, and you know I haven't been in this as long as you have, but since I've been a part of the healthcare rep, you know, how many awesome people we've met along the way, both in terms of you know, leaders we've interviewed and then even some of their support staff that help us get coordinated on calendars. And then just sort of in the broader digital health community, folks that have reached out to us to say hi. You know to get involved in broader initiatives that we're both leading. I think it's just been tremendous just to see a true community of people growing with us, if you will, and and following us and coming up or in, in partnering with us, if you will, to move the industry forward.
0: It's so true. I mean, the intro rap used to say digital health is the evolution. Now it says consumer first health is the evolution. Like that yes. signifies everything. Yes. We used to be talking about platforms yes. and tools, and we had to do that foundationally. And now we have to talk about like what was that foundation for? What are we building on top? And yeah, that's a version of healthcare that's easier to encounter. That's the crux of it all. So yeah, until that happens, you know, I think we probably will keep having things to talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah. And to your point, like we have, I think, moved the needle both I mean, hopefully our hopefully the podcast has educated folks, but as an industry, you know, things have changed. I think I shared one like one of the first episodes I've ever been on with you, Jared. One Of my first jobs when I was in, still working in Canada, leading innovation at a rural hospital, was convincing the board of directors that we needed to get on social media. Like that was back in 2013, 2012. And it's like, gosh, like now that I look back on that, I'm like, how silly, you know, that that was even a fight and how commodity and how normal that is now for health systems to be extremely active on social. Not even, I guess we're coming up on 10 years, it's 2023. That was still a question. And so I think there has been lots of movement in the system, even though even though we still look at healthcare as laggards in the digital space.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I agreed to only share one story, so I won't share another story about talking to a CEO in 2006 and how that conversation went about getting a new website for that hospital. I will skip that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, But I did share that on LinkedIn the other day, so people can check that out. But what we're going to do today to recognize episode 250 is we're going to kind of create a state of the state of consumer transformation. To the best of our knowledge, we want to share from a few different angles what it means and what consumer transformation looks like right now for healthcare organizations. We are focusing primarily, I'd say, on traditional provider organizations, hospitals, health systems, etc. But we're going to talk about some of the, the retail players and commercial players who are in the space as well. So we're going to try this from a few different angles. The first one, I wanted to share some numbers, some facts and figures. So this will be our By the Numbers segment. And let me just share a few of these. Zane, I've curated just my own list from consumer research surveys that have been done by vendors, consulting agencies, and even media groups. And these are all... Recent, like these are all 2022 stats. So these stats are all about the demands that consumers are presenting and sharing about their healthcare. So, number one, 81% of consumers say that a good patient experience is very important when interacting with healthcare providers. That's from Red Point Global. Two other yep. points from that report 45% of consumers also expect healthcare brands and providers to, to proactively contact them to help improve their wellness and care.
1: Shocker. Mm.
0: And then they also reported that 41% of adults will leave their provider because of poor patient engagement. All right, so stop there. What do you think?
1: Well, I don't think, I mean, it doesn't shock me. And so what I hear behind a lot of those stats, and this isn't going to sound pretty and it may sound ungracious, but like healthcare is commoditizing folks. Like what I mean by that is, is, you know, back in the day, you know, maybe healthcare was considered to be an art and a science and it certainly is. But especially for like low acuity stuff, it's very much a commodity. And so there's little like there's less and less of a difference in quality between at the low acuity level, between different providers, you know, that might compete in any given community or market. And so that means that the only way to really then compete is on experience, right? And it also sort of gives us the insight that consumers, you know, care. Potentially less again at the low acuity level, like who's their doctor. It's more about just getting the service and getting it in a way that they want. And so I'm not surprised at all by some of the stats we just listed off. But what I think is going to be the uphill battle and hurdle is going to be for incumbent health systems and particularly the medical community to accept that and realize that their world is no, their, their world, if you will, or their discipline is no longer no longer such a hallowed discipline, so to speak, that the market will forgive them for not having you know, the same level of experience or courtesies that other highly commoditized or highly consumer-oriented industries would have. And so that's my long rant about that.
0: <laughs> no, I like that. I like that a couple more for you here, and then I'll get your reaction on these two. So the average wait time, the average time to get an appointment scheduled in 2022 was 26 days. That was up wow. from 24.1 days in 2017. So you know over a five-year period, that's gone up a couple of days. That's why a group Merritt Hawkins, they looked at the 15 largest metro areas in the US, which implies that that wait is most likely longer in rural and underserved areas. So there's that piece. Yep. yep. Then there's 70% of people want health systems to be more, more actively involved with their own health management activities. That's according to Kaufman Hall. And then yep. my last two have to do with switching providers. So 30% of people that switch, uh, 30% of people said they switched to providers in the previous year. And this was from just September of 2022. 30% of people said they switched to providers in the previous year and nearly 80% of those the ones who switched, said that the reason for leaving was the lack of ease of use. So there were mm. things like, it was difficult to do business, it was a bad experience with administrative staff, or there was an inadequate yep. digital presence there. And yep. a, a very similar one, uh, that was 30% against switched providers in the last year. Then Geonetrix survey looked at a two-year window and found that 43% of people had switched providers in the last two years. So... All right. What, what do you think about those?
1: I think that sounds about right. So going back to the scheduling, I'm a little bit shocked that that number isn't higher. That you know, the the length, the time to get an appointment wouldn't be higher. Given, sounds like it's only going up by a few days over the last three years, but given where we went through with the pandemic, I, I would have thought that would have went. A lot higher. So I guess that's kind of a good stat to hear. But I laugh because with my Canadian hat on Jared, a report came out recently in Canada, specifically in Ontario, I believe. And this is more for specialty care. It takes the average Canadian 26.5 weeks to see a specialist, which is insane, like nearly half a year. And so even though I know here in the States, we often complain about wait times are certainly better than other jurisdictions in the world. Um, related to, uh, I think your second point was or your third point was around, you know, ease of doing business, I think that sounds about right, that patients would switch providers just just because it's difficult to actually interact with them. And I, I personally have an example recently. Maybe I'm giving too much information to our listeners, but as I've been living in the US for the last like year and two months, I hadn't taken the time to actually sit down and get a dentist. So I finally did over the holidays. So finally I'm getting dental care again after being out for a year. No cavities, guys. I'm so excited about that. But what I thought to myself, Jared, is gosh, like I wish I wish the dentist I was using would be just integrated with my other medical provider. And so I get I get my healthcare Henry Ford Health System where I used to work. You know, Henry Ford has invested heavily in my chart to the point where, like, my chart is actually pretty awesome. Like, I can book all my visits, see all my bills, you know, message my doctor. But obviously, in most cases, health systems don't integrate dental into their work. And so I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome to, already have all my information with the dentist, see what the bill is, you know, have all that record in, in with my actual medical record. Because frankly, I had to sit there, Jared, as a new patient and like fill out 10 different forms. They don't have an app. You can't book online. You have to call. And, you know, for the last three or four years, as I've been getting my healthcare at Henry Ford through, and primarily through my chart, I've never really had to call the doctor. I've just done everything through the app. And so, yeah, personally, like if there was a, a dental provider affiliated with Henry Ford, I would select it just because it truly would be easier to interact with them. So not surprised there at all either.
0: Nice, and great example. I'm telling you, this is, I think is going to be a revelation to people that are asking themselves, what do we mean by consumer transformation? What do we need to do? All anyone has to do is think about their own experiences encountering healthcare And those of our loved ones. And we're going to see that more and more.
1: Yeah, And the biggest one for me right now, Jared, is just like insurance. Like I kind of hated that I had to like give them my insurance information. And it's just for me personally, because we're at the end of it. I I got my help. I got my first dental appointment, like the 28th of December and the next year so. Three or four days later, it's actually going to be in my employer got us new dental insurance. So it'll be a different provider, and so I've already had to put it in my head. I got to remind them it's going to. I got to bring in my new cards, you know, kind of re-sign up again. Where you know, have they just been in my on my chart, right? you know, if I just update my chart and everything would be dealt with across all my medical providers. So it's stupid, simple stuff like that, that I think gets at the core of what we mean by digital transformation. It's these like small little pain points and friction that these tools can really, you know, can really offer patients some help on.
0: I understand there were some numbers that caught your eye, Zane, from uh, from the Rock Health Report.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Rock Health Report, love reading it every year. And I, I have a personal love for this report. So back when I was working in health systems and preparing a lot of content for our executive team and board, especially around the digital health space, I would go to this report like every year. And so I kind of look at it or, or look at it every quarter. And I remember looking at this report, Jared, in 2016. And so now, for those of you that you know, follow or read Rock Health, you know, they put out beautiful reports every year by year, like what is the average deal size and the number of deals. And I'm looking at 2016 right now. They have this report of 2012 to 2022. So like a good 10 years of data. And I remember in 2016, the, well, at the average, like the total. Sorry the total deal size that year was like 4.7 billion 348 deals and I remember thinking wow that is massive 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 only like 10 years later 2021 for it to be 29 billion right and then last year it you know it ended it came down a little bit in 2022 to 15.3 billion a total number of 572 deals and so interesting to see that you know over the last year it's come down a little bit I mean, I don't think that means things are going away here, but, but it's interesting just to see it cool down. But again, sort of going back to our what we chatted about earlier, like to see how far we've come and what we thought was huge back in the day or important back in the day is now no longer. Also in their report, they have this beautiful graphic where they talk about like, what were some of the biggest you know mega deals? So like over a hundred million by, by year. And so like back in 2008, You know, some of the biggest deals that were done there was Peloton 23 and me and Amwell. I just think to myself, Jared, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but you let me know. Like, we don't even really talk about those companies anymore. Like, they're a little bit passe. Like, not that they don't do good work or aren't important, but like, they don't, I don't really see or hear about them in the news, like, particularly like Amwell, who, you know, a lot of their products are, you know pretty straightforward and commoditized. Where this year, the top companies in terms of top fund-funded mega deals were Dispatch Health, you know, which does like a lot of at-home care, Bioformis, and the RPM space, and Tiger Connect, which I'm not exactly sure what they do. And then last year was New Monroe, which are very consumer-first oriented companies. And so, I guess my reflection here is just to see how not exactly how the deal flow has changed but what is being funded and how it's changed and how much more i guess sophisticated some of these companies are and and how the conversation about what these capabilities are has evolved it's really just cool to see progress being made there and that the industry is is funding you know more and more sophisticated and and i guess specialized Digital health companies that are addressing a little bit more of the healthcare gaps and sort of value-based health, as opposed to things that were a little bit more of a long shot, like Twenty Three and Me around their, you know, genetic testing. And so, curious what you think about some of that.
0: Well, you're right. Some of those brands, I mean, Twenty Three and Me, Peloton, I'm like really, <laughs> like I guess that just shows it really hasn't been that long yeah. since their kind of heyday and their time in the
1: spotlight,
0: really. And then their integration into our daily lives. And I mean, I do like that trend. I like the trend of brands being so pervasive and universal that we're like, yeah, of course. And Uber is always the example in my mind. I mean, I, I can still tell you, I mean, I didn't have an Uber ride until 2016 and I was at a healthcare conference and I was with two other colleagues and they're like, hey, I will just call an Uber back to the hotel. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. You know, like it was so like I was kinda like late to the to the party there, I feel like. But yep. ever since then I'm like, yeah, of course. This is just part of my life when I'm traveling or whatever. Yep. So yeah, yep. I, I think that integration does speak to the maturity more than anything of the market and of certain brands. So I think it's definitely something to keep in mind. And I like the fact that that we peeled that onion back a little bit instead of just looking at the surface and saying, Okay, hey, fifteen billion dollars overall invested in digital health versus whatever it was. In 2021, much higher than that. Yeah, instead of just looking like giving a knee-jerk reaction, saying "Hey, that number is a lot lower. That means nobody cares about digital health anymore." I mean, like the knee-jerk reactions, especially on Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm I'm just over it by now. (laughs) Like, I want to really peel back those layers and say, "No, really." Especially if I'm looking from a consumer's point of view, is this good? Does this help? Does this give me more choices? Is this experience potentially easier? If so, then maybe it's more than just one. Aggregate number that catches my attention and is part of the story that's being told here. So yeah, this is kind of where my mind went. So cool. All right, so that's our by the numbers here. Let's give another little segment a shot, and this is going to be called "What's Up, What's Down," Zane. So a uh, really simple, more of a lightning round, just things that are trending up or down, and this can be brands or it can be trends or types of entities. I'll admit, I'm just going to give myself a layup here right at the beginning. I'm going to say, uh, "Village MD is up." And yeah, they kind of had a big last half of the year this last year, and that includes their closing of the summit health deal for about nine billion dollars, and that took their number of clinics from three hundred and ninety three to over six hundred and eighty so now you've got village m d with this footprint that you know instantly not quite doubled, but you know about sixty percent more. Clinics and they're considered one of the leaders in value based care out there. And now they have 200 of those stores are co located with Walgreens stores. So I just think you know what I I am a fan. You know it was last week's flavor of the week, right? I'm a fan, so I think they're doing a lot of things right. Not everything; they're not the answer to everything, but uh, I definitely think they're trending up.
1: That's awesome. I definitely agree. I think another one that's trending up, and I realize James Garner isn't with us today, but. I'd say in general, retail health. And so, you know, at the time of their recording, you know, the especially around CVS, like we, you know, we heard about their acquisition of what Signify not too long ago. And then, you know, yesterday we hear about their investment in carbon health. And then it hit the news today, you know, there's speculation that they may be acquiring or investing in Oak Street Health. It's so really interesting to see those retail players, you know, continue to, purchase to grow bigger or purchase capabilities to allow them to compete essentially in the urgent and primary care space and maybe even a little bit more into you know chronic disease management and value-based care stuff. And so retail health is certainly up, I would say.
0: Love it. Yep. And then here's one that you mentioned to me before. So credit goes to you on this one, but Medicare Advantage practices are definitely trending up.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if I could jump in on that, that's... You can almost say that's like a, a trend, even with the retail health crew. It's all these disruptors, if in my view anyway, that are that are doing really well. Aren't just building or catering to anyone. They're all they're ultimately trying to serve a very specific population, and one of those populations, you know, happens to be the Medicare Advantage space. Where you know someone who comes from the consulting world, there's many consultants out there who are helping individuals or, sorry, helping health systems think about their strategy on Medicare Advantage, and that's frankly just a big opportunity both. In terms of you know financial upside, and then also just the size of that population, and so up, up, up.
0: Nice. All right. Then my my last one for what's up is I'm gonna I'm gonna say ChatGPT. Yeah. Kind of another layup. I mean I don't know. Like I feel like I uh, it sounds like I didn't do much research here, but <laughs> this is definitely a one that's not just being talked about, but for the potential. Now I do like everyone who's posting about hey I tried it to do this and this and this. Uh, I had to write a letter. To a health plan member, you know, informing them to confirm their coverage for the year, da-da-da-da-da. And it spit this out. I think the administrative task, I mean, quite frankly, reminds me of like what Olive, for instance, like what their goal was of creating an AI workforce to handle a lot of the administrative burden that's out there that gets in the way of innovation. And so this is strictly on potential. I myself, I'm still giving it a little bit of time before I totally dive in. But then uh, when I do, I'm going to go really deep and really get to the bottom of like what's possible right now. But uh, especially the potential valuation on a potential acquisition of a public entity involving ChatGPT and OpenAI? Yeah, it seems like it's trending up. Hard to deny, in my opinion.
1: Definitely. I've been using the tool just for some of my own admin tasks, and it does simplify things, like especially around like taking a first pass at writing an email or some type of communication. At least for me, it gives me a structure to then go and edit. The only issue is, it's not really integrated into my workflow. And so the moment ChatGPT is integrated into like Google Mail or Microsoft Word, I think all bets are off and it's going to be an awesome tool for folks to consider. And frankly, I'm not, I realize, I realize I'm the co-host on a technology focused podcast, but I'm actually not that techie. And so I don't fully understand what I'm even using or how it might. Help me, you know, with like thinking about coding and things like that, which is skills I don't have. And so I think for me, I just have a lot of education that I still need to put myself through to really understand, you know, what are the potential use cases to help me both hack my personal life and then also uh, the work that I do every day. And so I'm with you on that one.
0: Nice, nice. All right. Uh, what about any, anyone trending down that you don't want to mention?
1: Well, I mean, this might be an easy shot, but I think certainly health systems are. In general, are trending on the down. And so there's, you know, a report that came out from Kaufman Hall or on, you know, sort of the current state of the state on finances with health systems. Certainly some challenges there. I think health systems are still very much in a financial pickle coming out of the COVID pandemic. And what's ultimately driving that is, you know, changes in referral patterns. In some cases, you know, the the volumes hasn't come back, but in other cases it's a very much the staffing crunch where the price of labor has gone through the roof, or as we talked about at nauseum on this pandemic, the pandemic, you know, you know, forced some people into retirement. They just didn't want to do this anymore. And so for those reasons and just ancient service model of many health systems, again, as we talk about at nauseum on this show, health systems are certainly traditional health systems are certainly trending down, 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 in my opinion. <laughs> But they're savable. I will say that. They're savable. We can save them, right?
0: Oh, right, right. We've said all along, hopefully it never comes across otherwise, but if anyone has any doubt, we are fans of and are rooting for and cheering for health systems and hospitals and recognize they will never go away. The healthcare professionals, clinicians will never, ever go away. That is not the point here. The point is, what shape does it need to shift into to maximize what consumers actually want and need and require to actually achieve things like the quadruple aim things that we talk about all the time but the boundaries that we've set to design within to try to achieve those goals those boundaries maybe are useful if we actually change them a little bit and expand them and see things from different points of view so yeah absolutely we're i mean we want to see an easier version of healthcare and whoever provides that man we're rooting for you so so there you go very cool i mean the only one i'd add on the on the downside is Kind of really, I mean, they're, they're one of the, well, we refer to this big, the big four in retail, but Walmart, I think they're, they're at least standing still in my opinion. I'd feel like they're trending down just because of expectations and because there's nothing clear in their leadership carousel has quite frankly continued spinning. And so there's nothing that indicates that, Hey, now we've got it all figured out and we're going to expand this and follow the trajectory that we did when we got into the grocery business. And within a handful of years, we were the number one grocery distributor in the US and still are. Like there that was the trajectory for their healthcare system and and strategy from the get and it's nowhere close to materializing in that direction. So for that simply due to those expectations, I feel like they they hopefully don't get left behind but they're also not known to just sit by and let other people expand their Their offerings, I mean, they'll be back. They'll be doing something. We just don't know what.
1: Sure. I think that's really fair. I would put them in like the same category. Maybe it sounds weird, but like, you know, similar to like Amazon. A lot of folks, when, you know, Amazon first failed at its couple attempts at healthcare, you know, just assumed they'd go away. But Walmart strikes me as similar to Amazon, a very much a learning organization. So if they take this first pass and aren't perfectly successful, to your point, they might regroup and come back bigger and better and bolder in a more focused or tailored area. And so I think it still remains to be seen where they're at.
0: Yeah, agreed. Thank you, Zane. That was great. That was what's up, what's down. We might do that in the future. I think that was kind of fun just to to share a few headlines all at once and and what we think they mean. So we're going to try one more segment today, which we'll call the uh, the consumer cocktail. How's that? Okay. <laughs> what we see is that a lot of conversations start and end with, okay, somebody's saying consumer strategy, Or they're talking about consumerism. And now the term lately is consumer transformation, which is the bigger, bolder initiative, in my opinion, the longer lasting. What do those things mean? (laughs) There's definitely not a consensus on what any of them mean. And so maybe we can treat it like a cocktail. And I think we can each just take a couple of turns saying, like, here's one ingredient I want to add to this cocktail called consumer transformation. Like, what are those elements in it? So here's what I mean. Like, I'll, I'll start with one. The the one that comes to mind for me first is digital transformation, believe it or not. And here's what I mean by that. I've shared this analogy a lot that, to me, digital transformation was the plumbing that needed to happen. It was the foundation that needed to happen in order to build something on top. And the pipes just weren't going to the right places, the pipes weren't connecting. And those pipes had to do with with everything from data to patient engagement to a lot of digital tools that are used to build a digital experience. So... Online scheduling is a perfect example. How does that tie into my chart? You know how 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 does all that architecture work? So that all needed to happen, and I hesitate even saying it that way because it's not over, not even close. I mean, I think we're decades, quite frankly, from digital transformation being at the point where we feel like everyone needs to be, in most cases, where they need to be as far as digital goes. There's still a lot of just digitizing processes that were crappy to begin with. So now you have the same crappy process; it's just digital tools enabling it, that doesn't get us to a much better place either. So there's a lot of limitations there. But I do think like that's, that is the foundation. We still needed ways to do things on a phone, on a computer, with a lot less friction. And so we have a foundation to build on now, and we just don't want to forget what to build on top. So I'd say that's one element in this cocktail is, is digital transformation, recognizing it's not done, but we, we need to have been further down that road. To get going on consumer transformation,
1: yes. Let's see here. So my favorite cocktail would be a old fashioned, and so I think the and usually that's a bourbon focused drink. And so the bourbon that I think we need to pour into this cocktail is, um, I would call it like taking a design approach to whether it's your consumer, your digital transformation. And so what I mean by that, and I think we talked about this in episode, or sorry, season one, like what are the tools that digital innovators need, and and so certainly what I mean by this then is. Really being able to understand who you're building for as you think about, you know, building new products and services or service lines or or you know telehealth services. Really get clear on, you know, the personas, if you will, the types of patients or the audiences that you're building for. And there are certainly tools to do that, you know, whether it be design thinking or human-centered design. And then thinking through from, you know, once you built sort of this idea of who you're serving to then be able to carry that through into, into the implementation and execution of, of that product. And so thinking about, you know, interaction design, graphic design, like user experience design, all those minute details, which a lot of healthcare doesn't usually focus on, right? We just think about setting up a telehealth capability. Okay, we have the ability to connect you to a physician via video, you know, via video feed, but we don't. Always take the time or hire the experts to help us imagine. Okay, it's not good enough anymore to have those video, that video connection. We need to make sure that the interface looks right. Is it branded correctly? Are these icons too big? Are they too small? Should they be a different, different color? You know, what's the experience like in waiting in the virtual waiting room and so on and so forth? All these things can be solved for through a design process, which you know most—I would say—your average health system doesn't necessarily have those skills to to think that through. And so, a design-based approach is certainly, I think, a big, big ounce or two, if you will, in this cocktail that we're talking about here.
0: Nice, nice. That's great. That's a perfect addition to our cocktail here. I'll throw a couple more out here. One would be operations. Uh, I think one of the, Hmm. it's not exactly a well-kept secret, right? All the aspirational service blueprints and design thinking exercises are great. And then there's this translation that has to happen for operations where, first, if they were not included in the design process, then they are nine times out of 10 just going to be like, I'm not interested in implementing this thing that you guys did. And then second off, even if they were, they're the ones who are day to day saying, okay, hey, a, a chat bot to help with scheduling sounded great, but it's driving our agents crazy. You know, they're not getting appointments actually scheduled as often. And here's why there are these daily fires that are coming out, and operations just has to be a part of this. They have to be in on it from the get. Like they have to understand that they're a vital part of it because you can have all the brand promise in the world, if you will. You can label yourselves as, hey, we're, we're here to help you. We care for you. We have the best clinical expertise. We're going to take care of you. We're going to help your, your family members who are your caregivers who are here with you. You can say that all you want. And if operations doesn't match that brand promise, the two things kind of go together in my mind that you, you, you need to do both. And those, those are vital parts of the, the cocktail here.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, and maybe what I'd add is, and I see this more and more now, especially in my day job as a consultant working with many health systems, I would say, you know, maybe the going back to my um, old-fashioned analogy, the orange, the orange garnish would just be like leadership and vision. And so, you know, the difference in my view between, you know, some of the high-performing health systems we work with versus more of the laggards is truly just comes down to people it's not money it's not brand it's not technology but it's like are there progressively are there leaders that are progressive enough and willing enough to step out and hold the organization towards a vision and move them along that path when i first started out my career jared i worked with uh, dr ann Snowden at the ivy center for health innovation in london ontario at the ivy business school and she would go you know in all of our classes and all of our work and say like innovation takes leadership I didn't really understand that at the time because I had no work experience and I was just a kid. But now I see it where, again, like the difference between being at the top of the market and at the bottom isn't always money or brand, but almost always people and the caliber of people that are trying to work together, but more importantly, leading the organization forward. And so, yeah, leadership, it's important.
0: Could not agree more. I think that's great. We've got quite a, a concoction here going on. Maybe We'll be able to add to this over yes. time as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely,
0: because yeah, there, there's so much to to keep talking about and recognize. You know, what are those essential elements? And I think that's a continuing, evolving conversation as well. So, awesome! Thanks for uh, for going with me on that. And I kind of threw you into this with. Uh, We've never tried these segments before, but uh, I thought that was really interesting.
1: I think we need to do it more often and we'll do it with guests too, including James. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, hey,
0: you know, we've got a new year, we've got a, essentially a new season here. So we'll keep that in mind. Any th- final thoughts here as we, we start to wrap? Again, the goal here was to provide a better idea of the state of the state of consumer transformation right now and just look at it from a few different facets or perspectives, if you will. Any final thoughts before we go?
1: Final thoughts. You know, I I don't know if it's a thought or it's an observation, but I've been noticing more and more, you know, incumbent or laggard health systems, you know, having discussions about banning together. And you kind of see that a little bit in the market with different health systems coming together to you know, jointly create new businesses or products. And I just think that's going to be a trend that we're going to continue to see here. Because at the end of the day, for all the reasons we discuss here all the time, you know, health systems are losing here. And so I think they're going to finally look for more radical opportunities and, and 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 finally also like reach across the aisle and say hey, you know, hey neighboring health system that I pseudo to compete with in my geographic region, how can we work together to better serve this community? And I guess I'm just really thankful to, to see some of that going back to leadership that you know some leaders are putting their egos aside and starting to think more altruistically about pivoting organizations to to drive health and pull up partnerships and collaboration as opposed to just sort of protecting their camp and their business and their market share and so i'm encouraged to see that and i hope that trend continues this year
0: yeah thanks i hope so too i hope we keep going that direction and i do think we'll see some successes some failures and I think the net gain will be a very positive step in the right direction. My closing thought here has to do with where we are, and, and a few weeks ago in the flavor of the week, I talked about a conversation I had about a comment I made that I think we're we're only like in the first inning here. And I was asked, okay, well then what's in the second inning? And uh, I had to think about that when I was like, well, yeah, this is definitely the first inning of consumer transformation. We're in early days right now. And I'm like, okay, well, wait, what does come next? And I think where we'll head next, and I think we'll see a lot of progress in 2023, is a focus on the who of consumer transformation as opposed to the how, because simply we're not there yet. There's not a lot of consensus on common definitions, as we were talking about before, like, what actually even is this? There's not a lot of understanding, there's not a role or a department necessarily carved out in the majority of organizations yet that says, you own this. So we need to start there. We need to first better understand who should own it, how they can grow in the necessary skills and competencies to accelerate those initiatives. And I think we'll learn that representing the voice of the consumer in the business systems and the digital infrastructure of care will have to come organically. It needs to come from within. And it, it really does need to come from those who are in the trenches, who understand the limitations of why we haven't done this before yet, and how do we overcome them. And we're going to have to think innovatively, but this won't necessarily be the same department everywhere, just like it isn't now. Patient experience is not rolling up to the same person on the C, in the C-suite in every organization, and... I kind of understand that. So I just think we'll see some progress in substantially building up the function, but this is going to take a while. And most people just don't have patience to see something roll out over a course of years, but that's where this is going to be. At some point, there will be a tipping point. I do think we're still, uh, this is still very clearly sitting with early adopters, and it's not in that early majority segment yet. And I'm hoping we we'll cross over to that sometime soon because that's where you really start to see like that flywheel turning and you're getting a much, bigger proportion of people speaking the same language and just going the going in the same direction so that's where I think we're headed that's kind of where where we're at right now and uh, yeah boy lots to think about I think
1: mean, that's really sage wisdom. We'll see where we end up.
0: Well, man, Zane, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate this. Uh, thanks so much for giving everyone something to think about. We've been speaking about the state of the state of consumer transformation. We'd love to hear listeners from you. What do you think about what we said? What was what was right? What was wrong in your mind? Let us know. And hit us up. We're always on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find us there. But in the meantime, just want to thank you for giving us a few more minutes and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thanks for having me, Jared. We'll talk soon.